Hi, welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest living here in Austin, Texas, and uh, good to have you with us. I hope if you haven't done so already, you would uh, take a little bit of time and go visit our website. It's called Two-Way Prayer. It's the method of prayer and meditation that they did in early AA. Somehow it got lost, and my mission in life is to try to resurrect that and bring it to the people who are out there in 12-step recovery, because I think it's got a tremendous amount to uh, offer us in uh, really bringing much, much greater depth to our recovery programs. And while you're there, uh, make sure you sign up for the newsletter. Uh, If you sign up, you'll get a copy immediately of the last issue, and then we'll be sure to catch you uh, about every month, six weeks, uh, we try to get a newsletter out. Uh, We've got a workshop coming up, and the next one is going to be uh, a new one. I've I've never done this before. It's going to be on uh, going deeper into the history of the 12 steps. What is it that we can learn from the history? And I'm going to focus on uh, how that knowledge can make our programs simpler, easier, easier to do. I, I just think we have complicated the heck out of a very simple program. And looking at the history is a wonderful way to get back and seeing how the the pioneers did this in the early days of recovery. That workshop is going to be September the 12th. It is on a Sunday, so uh, pay attention to that. We usually do our workshops on Saturday. Uh, This one is going to be on Sunday, September 12th, from 10 o'clock in the morning, central time, to about uh, 1230 there is a flyer on the website under the events, or you can write to me at twowayprayer at gmail.com, and I will send you a flyer, and then uh, I hope you'll pass it on to other people so that uh, we really want to get this information out there to as many folks in recovery as we can. So uh, those are the announcements. Um, we're continuing now with our series. It's titled God and Addiction, and we're taking... Uh, an in-depth look at why a spiritual connection with the divine, with God, is is so very important for recovery. Uh, And we're using David Schoen's book. It's called The War of the Gods in Addiction. Uh, It's there in the the program notes at at the end of of the podcast. And I think it's probably one of the best sources for examining uh, Jung's beliefs about alcoholism, because Jung really did not write very much specifically about addiction, uh, but uh, Sean takes takes uh, the letters, the correspondence between Bill Wilson and Jung, and he amplifies them and goes into great depth trying to discern what is it that's there, and that's what we're trying to do uh, in this series. So in the first episode, we looked at the letter Bill Wilson had sent to Carl Jung, and therein he described how Jung's patient, Roland Hazard, had uh, carried the spiritual message of recovery uh, back from Switzerland, first to Ebby, and then eventually on to Bill. Now in this second episode, we're going to examine some of the key points of Jung's letter uh, in response to Wilson's letter. Uh, it's much shorter, but I think there are some tremendously important insights that every addict needs to be aware of here. I probably read this letter 
uh, well, God, no, 30, 40 times. Uh, and again, this will be in the show notes as well. So you can get a copy. But um, I'm going to try to comment on, on some of the insights that, that Jung presents, uh, comment on them briefly. And then I'm going to read some selections from Shane's, Schoen's book uh, as he comments on them as well. And then over the course of the next several episodes, uh, we will go into much greater depth and really try to look at what is happening spiritually, psychologically, both in addiction and in the recovery process. Now, Jung's letter is, is pretty short, as I said, so let me go ahead and read it, and then we will try to digest it. As usual, uh, Jung says a lot in a very few words. So here we go. Dear Mr. Wilson, your letter has been very welcome indeed. I had no news from Roland anymore and often wondered what has been his fate. Our conversation, which he had adequately reported to you, had an aspect of which he did not know. The reason that I could not tell him everything was that those days I had to be exceedingly careful of what I said. I had found out that I was misunderstood in every possible way. Thus, I was very careful when I talked to Roland H. But what I really thought about was the result of many experiences with men of his kind. Here comes the big one. His craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness, expressed in medieval language, the union with God. Let me read that one a second time. His, Roland's craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness, expressed in medieval language, the union with God. How could one formulate such an insight in a language that is not misunderstood in our days? Then commenting on why Roland may have recovered, Jung speculates, the only right and legitimate way to such an experience is that it happens to you in reality, and it can only happen to you when you walk on a path which leads you to a higher understanding. You might be led to that goal by an act of grace or through a personal and honest contact with friends or through a higher education of the mind beyond the confines of mere rationalism. I see from your letter that Roland has chosen the second way, which was, under the circumstances, obviously the best. I am strongly convinced that the evil principle prevailing in this world leads the unrecognized spiritual need into perdition. That means damnation, like. Uh, if it is not counteracted either by a religious insight or by the protective wall of human community. An ordinary man, not protected by an action from above and isolated in society, 
cannot resist the power of evil, which is called very aptly the devil. But the use of such words arouse so many mistakes that one can only keep aloof from them as much as possible. These are the reasons why I could not give a full and sufficient explanation to Roland H. But I am risking it with you because I conclude from your very decent and honest letter that you have acquired a point of view above the misleading platitudes one usually hears about alcoholism. And here comes the, the second zinger. You see, alcohol in Latin is spiritus. And you use the same word for the highest religious experience as well as for the most depraving poison. They say we drink spirits. The helpful formula, therefore, is spiritus contra spiritum. Thanking you again for your kind letter. I remain yours sincerely, C.G. Jung. And he adds a short postscript. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Psalm 42, verse 1. So, taking this apart, Jung breaks, uh, excuse me, he makes the point uh, that he couldn't tell his patient all that he believed because it was likely that he would then, as a scientist, be misunderstood. But in this letter to Wilson, he's going to risk it. He's going to lay out what his real beliefs are, both his beliefs about addiction and maybe more importantly, his beliefs about recovery. I think there are a number of sections that uh, we need to dissect here. And the first is, what's going on at depth in the illness of alcoholism, at least as Jung sees it? And he says that Roland's craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness expressed in medieval language the union with God. Now, like many alcoholics, I can remember the very first time I got drunk. And I can remember what it did to me. And I can remember even more vividly what it did for me. Most addicts can remember this. I've asked hundreds and hundreds over the years. Uh, and my story was I won a bottle of cheap wine at a church bazaar. I was 12 years old. Uh, and I knew who I was with. I remember that night. I remember putting my dime down on number 22. I remember the wheel spinning coming up. I remember the guy asking me, what are you going to do with this wine when I won? Uh, take it home to daddy, you know. <laughs> well, it didn't make it home to daddy. Uh uh, Billy Walsh and myself went behind a garage. We got drunk, and uh, and I puked my guts out uh, later that night. But before that happened, uh, it took me to heaven. It took me to a place inside that I had never been to before, and and I think for the first time in my life, even at twelve, I sensed a feeling of wholeness. You know, and that that's that's what so what Jung says uh, for Roland and for most of us real alcoholics, it was the equivalence of, on a low level 
of our spiritual thirst for that wholeness. Uh, and for the next 15 years, I really went in search of that place again, uh, to enter it, to, to, to find the, the wholeness, the unity in, in my life. Uh, cause I was, I was split apart. Um, you know, and the less whole we are, I think when, when we start, um, uh, the more that is a setup for alcoholism to, uh, to come in. I don't know that this search for wholeness, that, that we label it God, but that is what Jung does. He says, you know, God is wholeness. And, and, uh, and we need to be in right relationship to that wholeness. That's really the premise of much of his psychology. Then commenting on the fact that, uh, that Roland did recover, uh, as reported by Wilson, Jung gives his beliefs about how this might have come about. He says, in his experience, there are three ways. One is an act of grace. It just happens. It's a gift. And this is a breakthrough. And it usually uh, uh, comes only after a breakdown. Uh, it's sudden. It's the conversion experience, the hot flash, the white light that happened to Bill Wilson there at Towns Hospital. Uh, totally depressed, totally, totally in the dark. <clears throat> uh, God, if there is a God, please help me. I'll never forget a patient I had many years ago. Uh, he left treatment. He walked out uh, and he walked out to, to get stoned and he did. Uh, and he woke up in an Exxon station and he looked in the mirror and he didn't know the guy who was looking back at him. And he came back and said, please, please take me back into treatment. And uh, uh, we did <laughs> because he was changed. And, and it was quick. It was instant. It was worth a hundred lectures that never would have gotten to him. But that, that trip down to hell, you know, and then coming back up from it, uh, brought about a transformation in his mind. Uh, it's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, Damascus. And it's really happened to any number of alcoholics and addicts, uh, in recovery. It's a sudden coming to our senses, a waking up, and, and on the other side, experiencing uh, a new level, a different level of consciousness. Uh, Sean writes, quote, in AA, this is often talked about as hitting bottom. When there is a fundamental shift of the conscious ego position, and the person is suddenly open, often unexpectedly, to a whole new way of looking at him or herself and the issue of drinking. This act of grace is often the impetus for an alcoholic individual to take step one, to admit that they are powerless over alcohol and that their lives have become unmanageable. In Jungian psychology, he adds, this experience is what is meant by the relativizing of the ego in relation to the self, unquote. Self is with a capital S, and that probably needs just a little bit of commentary here.
oftentimes I hear in AA, uh, my problem is my ego. I have to get rid of my ego. And, and that's not true. If we do get rid of our ego, we are psychotic and that's not a good plan. But what Sean says here is exactly the correct position. The relativizing of the ego in relation to the self. The book says, you know, selfishness, self-centeredness, that is our problem. And there is a shift that has to happen. And the shift is what? It is the shrinking of the ego down to right size, down to proper size. Uh, we call a psychiatrist a shrink. I remember what what an insight it was when I finally got it. Well, what the hell is he supposed to shrink? He's supposed to shrink our ego. He's supposed to bring it down to human proportions instead of playing God ourselves. I mean, that 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 is the heart and soul of Jungian psychology. And I think it's the heart and soul of AA as well. Uh shrinking ourselves down, becoming humble, becoming teachable, uh, and being in right relationship with God of our understanding. So that's the first way. The second way, Jung points out, uh, for recovery to come about is, quote, through a personal and honest contact with friends. And this is, this is the impact of the community. And uh, in, in, in Oxford group terminology, I think it was the importance of gaining the confidence of the new person. I mean, they called themselves life changers. Uh, they were in the business of changing lives. And, and, and they did that through an experience of, of community with the individual who comes into the group and find something that he or she has been looking for all of their lives. If they haven't been looking for it at some deep level, they're not going to respond to it. But if they have been looking, if they're, if they're then ready, either quickly or slowly, as we say, uh, change is what the process is all about. So they focused on the importance of staying connected with that individual with that newcomer until the change happens. And then once they are a changed individuals, individual, then their task is to go about changing uh, someone else. Uh, so, so the importance of the community, the importance of staying bonded with that community, particularly in the beginning of our recovery is, is absolutely vital. Um, uh, the expression is, you know, stay at the center of the herd. If you are at the center of the herd, the lions that are prowling around are going to have a hard time getting to you. But if you're out on the edge, if you're not very connected, boom, they're going to grab you off and uh, off you go into the jungle. Showing <laughs> uh, comments. What strikes most people about an AA meeting is the level of direct honest, and personal sharing that goes on in the most loving and non-judgmental way. The loneliness, alienation, 
and self-loathing of most alcoholics find that most alcoholics find in the fellowship of AA a level of acceptance and caring and friendship that they had never experienced before. Um, some describe it as, as coming home. Uh, some describe it as you're reading my mail. All, all, all of those, all of those uh, little comments that we make, that they're all saying the same thing. Uh, you understand me uh, in ways that nobody else possibly can. Why? Because you've been where I've been. Uh, and it's a lonely place. It's an isolated place. It's a cut-off place. It's the place where we had tried to make our addiction, whatever it might be, whether it's alcohol, food, sex, money, whatever, whatever that thing is, we tried to put that in the place of people and in the place of God. And it didn't work. It did in the beginning, but it was out to kill us in the end. The third way, Jung says, is through a higher education of the mind beyond mere rationalism. Uh, and for me, that suggests an openness to the power of the irrational in our lives, an openness to the unconscious, the power of the unconscious. That, you know, we're, we're, we're maybe 10% conscious, 90% unconscious. And, and, and we have to um, live in right relationship to that unconscious as well. Uh, as Jung, Jung said, I think the, the way we treat the unconscious is the way the unconscious is going to treat us. So an openness to the power of the irrational is what he's saying here. An appreciation for the real depth of our own unmanageability. My sponsor... Uh, first sponsor said, uh, Bill, you can get an understanding 100% of what it means to be powerless over alcohol. You, you can get that. But a real understanding of just how unmanageable your life is, you can only get that in part. Uh, but that's, that's the process, you see. That's the ego becoming relativized in relationship to God in relationship to the divine, you know, and that's everything. That's the journey. Um, and I don't know that you get it uh, in one shot. I don't think you do. I mean, I'm 48 years sober. I'm still learning it. I'm still learning that uh, God is God and I ain't. Uh, and the delusion of power uh, slips in very quickly, very subtly, and boom, I'm in trouble. Um, so, so an appreciation of, of the, of the depth of our unmanageability and, and, and what resides in the unmanageability, I believe is a certain degree of insanity as alcoholics, as addicts. See, the, the, the second step says what, uh, came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, logic if you're going to get restored to sanity, you're insane. And where does the insanity lie? It lies in the belief that I can manage my life without God. That's it. That's where it resides. And that battle between ego and God is, uh, is an ongoing one. <clears throat> Jung appreciated that. 
uh, much more so than uh, Freud ever did, and much more so than uh, most psychologists today uh, ever do. I mean, his later writings, particularly his answer to Job, his book a- Eon, um, these are highly, highly spiritual books where, he, where he's looking at what is that relationship between God and human beings. So, um, um, let's see, um, the madness, that's what I wanted to comment on, that, that there is, and this I believe this, there is within me a certain madness that if left unattended, if left untreated, if left unspiritualized, if left unrelativized, will take over and will talk me into drinking once again or if not into drinking, into some other madness that can be as equally destructive. So Jung says this, this madness can respond through a higher education of the mind. And Schoen adds this. He says, this is reflected in the working of the 12 steps, having a sponsor, reading the literature, especially the big book. And then he notes that in AA, all three of these ways that Jung spoke about are put together in a package. You see, uh, don't drink, go to meetings, read the big book, clean house, trust God, help others. Um, each, each of these three ways for bringing about um, a, a transformation, a psychic change, a, a deep personality change sufficient to overcome addiction, each one plays a part. Uh, one may be more prominent uh, in the life of one individual uh, than the other. But all three eventually, I think, really do need to be there. If we're going to find wholeness, you know, if I am only surrounded by other alcoholics after X number of years in the program, if that's what I'm desperately clinging to, something hasn't happened. You know, one of the other two has not happened. Uh, the, the psychic change hasn't happened. Uh, the education of the mind and the emotions hasn't happened. Uh, I may be not drinking, but I'm not, uh, I'm not really sober. Jung then goes on to identify an evil principle involved in addiction. And he says this evil exists in the world. He says, actually, it rules the world. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, and, and I, again, back to my first sponsor, he said, uh, Bill, don't shoot to become normal. If you become normal, uh, that's not going to be sufficient to, to keep you sober. The normal level of consciousness, uh, I want to become like other people. Uh-uh, you can't become like other people or you'll be drunk. You got to become better than other people. And I don't mean that in a proud way. I just mean that in a spiritual growth way, you see. Normal consciousness needs to be replaced by something higher. Big Book says what? We find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more in the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. And then Jung says that an ordinary person, not protected from above and isolated, cannot resist the temptations that come through addiction. Um, And and he labels that the devil, the evil, the murderer, the liar, the, the thing that lurks at the very heart. Uh, of addiction, it knows that they're loaded words. Yeah, but those of us who've been around, uh, you know, and, and dealt with addiction, recognize that man, we have our demons. Uh, call them what you will, 
but that demon is, is hell-bent on my destruction. And this is the spiritual warfare that's going on inside of each of us. And then he, he concludes with his famous comment that the solution to alcoholism is spiritus contra spiritum, the spirit of God battling the spirit, the spirits, the spirit of alcohol that has us bound. And this is the war of the gods. And uh, so in, in the rest of his book, we're, we're going to try to go through it chapter by chapter, see if we can't come to a greater understanding of what really is it that's going on uh, both in addiction and recovery. Uh, because this is basically a battle for our souls. And I really believe that. And I know Sean uh, really believes that as well. So we'll pick it up there next time. And in the meanwhile, I, I hope this, uh, this little episode was helpful. And uh, uh, if it was, and, and if you're able, I hope you might consider making a donation to Two-Way Prayer. Uh, the, the gifts that we are receiving uh, really makes it possible to uh, reach out to more and more addicts. And that's, that's our, our sole purpose here is to get the message of two-way prayer out to as many people as we can and, and help deepen. That's what I try, I'm trying to do on these podcasts is, is give people a deeper appreciation of what's going on in the recovery process. So I thank you uh, again for listening. I uh, hope this material was helpful. Uh, love to hear from you. Write me at twowayprayer at gmail.com and keep coming back. God bless.